the market is no longer carrying multifamily operators. You're not going to be realizing these outsized increases in rent growth and, and occupancies, right? So, and then with your debt payments going up, there's a lot of exposure right now in the marketplace and there's a lot of operators. And so what does that mean? Focusing on resident retention and customer service is absolutely crucial right now. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Cody Laughlin. Today we're talking about underwriting and operating real estate deals during a real estate market downturn. We go through Cody's thought process on how he believes that there is a current downturn in the real estate market. Then we go through the process of underwriting, which is basically just running the numbers on real estate deals during a downturn, and also operating real estate deals during a downturn. And these are real actionable items that Cody provides for us today. We're not speaking in generalities. He gives actual examples about how he and his business partners have changed their business model somewhat to adapt to the new reality of real estate investing, both in terms of running the numbers and also operating the deals that they currently own to make it through the downturn that he perceives is here. It's a great conversation. I always love these market insights and actionable knowledge that we can take and move forward with. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage properties. To date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street and building wealth on Main Street right along with us. Remember to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Cody Laughlin. Let's get into it. Cody, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there, who don't know about you and your background. Can you tell us about what you do, what you invest in, and everything around yourself in real estate? Taylor, man, I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm really excited to share my story, but I'm one of three managing partners at our company, Blue Oak Capital. We are a Houston-based private equity group. We acquire and operate multifamily acquisitions across Central Texas, Houston and San Antonio primarily. We are general partners in about 850 doors and about 208,000 square foot industrial flex industrial space as well. So my real estate journey started in 2010 after becoming an accidental landlord. I have a corporate background in healthcare. My wife and I, we moved to Houston, bought a starter home 2008, two years later, try to sell that said starter home and we couldn't, the housing market was in the dumps. We bought a second home and we had these two mortgages that we couldn't afford to pay. We're broke just two years out of college. And we were like, what are we going to do? So the, the most logical thought was, okay, let's put a tenant in there and we'll lease it out and we'll figure it out from there. And I did just that. And it was through that where I was introduced to real estate investing. I had no idea what I was doing. I was self-managing. All I knew was some guy was living in my house, paying my mortgage, and I was just getting us by. So we're like, great. I went to see my CPA that year to do my taxes though. 
And I was very surprised when I got my tax return back to discover that I didn't know any taxes. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And they were like, this is what happens when you own investment real estate. And that was really the first aha moment. And then there shortly after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the Purple Bible, as I like to call it. And it forever changed my life, changed my trajectory. And I pursued real estate entrepreneurship since then. So spent about eight years in residential, did both some real estate related business, non-real estate related business in those eight years. And then got frustrated with the lack of scale, lack of momentum, and really wanted to reach a certain level of financial independence much sooner. So I made the decision to go to multifamily. And that's where I met my partners, John and Brian, formed Blue Capital, and we've been off to the races since. So that's my story. Awesome. I love it. And just to dig a little bit more deeply into when you got that tax return and discovered you didn't have to pay any taxes, for those out there who maybe aren't putting the pieces together, don't really understand, why was that? Was that passive losses, depreciation that offset your rental income? That's exactly right. It was depreciation. I had no idea what that term meant until that meeting with my CPA. And when he was explaining how when you own investment real estate, you have paper losses against your passive income gains that can offset your tax liability. That's how people that continue to expand their portfolios can make a tremendous amount of wealth and, and reduce their taxable liability. And, uh, and it was very eye-opening for me. And, and that was really the moment where I realized like, hey, the traditional rules of financial literacy that I had grown up with were really for the poor-minded mindset. You know, it really, there, there's a whole nother game, as Grant Cardone likes to call it, there's a whole nother game that investors are playing, that the wealthy are playing, that we, that I really wanted to learn more about after that. And so that led me down the, the path we are now. So Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So today we wanted to talk about real estate investing during market downturns, underwriting during downturns, operating deals during downturns, really everything around downturns, because whether or not you think we're in a downturn right now is kind of irrelevant. Downturns are going to happen. So it's a good skill to have to be prepared for market downturns, regardless whether we're in one right now. And depending on who you ask and all that kind of thing, you're going to get different answers. But from your perspective, let's dive into underwriting and operating real estate deals during market downturns. Very apropos, considering that's how you got your start. But how do you think about it today? Yeah. And this is a very timely topic. I'm glad we're talking about this, Taylor, because when you look at the last 12 years, we ju we're just exiting one of the most uh, longest running expansion cycles that we've had in our economic history, right? And and in that, we've seen this emergence of real estate investing becoming, quote unquote, mainstream and particularly multifamily or commercial real estate investing through syndication, right? And so we, we've seen, and I'm a byproduct of this as well, we've seen a vast number of new investors coming into the space to pursue this strategy of syndication. And because of that, we've created this like massive competition pool that has fueled these asset values accelerating the way we have, right? And so we can talk about supply, demand, and balances. I'm sure we'll get into some of that. But really, the level of competition has been fueled by the amount of investors that have continued to come into space. Now, if you had invested prior to COVID, you know, anytime between 2019 on down through 2010, you're, you're positioned very, very well in this cycle because of how fast and how 
much asset values have accelerated. But to your point about whether we're in a downturn or not, if you don't believe we're in a downturn yet, you're living in a, under a rock. Because if you're not invested in real estate, I can tell you from somebody who owns and operates multifamily properties, we are for sure entering into a contraction. We've seen softening in our occupancies. We've seen softening in our our rent premiums. You know, we're seeing increases in delinquencies. We're, our residents are feeling the impact of this economic environment, and it's having an impact on our operations. And so. To answer the first part of your question, how do I feel about real estate today? I think that we're entering into a down cycle where now being very prudent in your analysis and your underwriting and your assumptions is going to be absolutely critical to survive through this downturn. But there's also going to be plenty of opportunity coming out of this. And I think a lot of people are fearful right now because equities are down, crypto's down, real estate values are down, everything's down, down, down trending. And so investors are, are, rightfully so very hesitant and risk adverse right now but that creates opportunity and so my my goal is that people really look at this down cycle as an opportunity to really get in especially why capital sitting on the sideline and and really be well positioned to expand your portfolios because coming out of this i do think that we're going to be entering another very aggressive expansion cycle so sorry i went on a little bit tangent there but i think it's very important that People underneath understand this was a very necessary reset. Let's let me be clear on that too. I, I do think that we needed a contraction in the marketplace to reset expectations. Because if you look at what happened up to this post-pandemic recovery, we've gotten so accustomed to deals trading every 24, 36 months and producing these outsized returns, two, three X multiples. And we all of a sudden have seemed to have forgotten that real estate is not a get rich quick game. It's a get rich slow game, right? You get rich quick over, I mean, get rich over time. And we've gotten so spoiled to deals coming and going in two to four, like I said, two to three years and outsized returns. And this is a ne much necessary reset because now operations are so critical. The market has carried people for the last 12 years. And anybody that tells you differently, they're lying. You know, you could have been the worst operator and still have made money up until this point because of the market dynamics and how aggressive the market has been. We're not in that cycle anymore. Operations is the most important variable to focus on this year. This is the year of the operator. You're going to find out who, who's a good operator, who's not, and who can really force value through operations versus just relying on the market to carry them. So I'm going to take a pause back and let you probe some questions <laughs> real quick. Sorry. Well, I appreciate the reality check and I think it's, it just is what it is. Markets go up and down. And the, the truth of the matter is we've had historically cheap money for more than a decade now. And then COVID really just threw gasoline on the money fire. And that's turned the other direction since mid last year or so. And rates going up, that kind of a thing, kind of slowing down the money printer a little bit. But depending on who you ask, it's still going. One of my concerns here, and I think this is so just to give you a little background info about myself, when I started making the transition from Wall Street investing to Main Street investing, I attended a real estate syndication event back in, I think it was 2016. One of the speakers was a highly accomplished multifamily investor with legitimately several thousand units under his belt and a well-known name. If I said his name, I'm not going to. You would definitely know it. And I'm sure some of the listeners would as well. And he got up and gave a speech about how the sky was falling in 2016, no less. And 
maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We don't know the future. We now have the benefit of hindsight. That's not what I'm trying to say. But he was saying that all while he wasn't selling all of his properties, right? And one of my concerns when we talk about the market downturn, things are bad, you know, so on and so forth, it's in a certain sense, what are people doing versus what are people actually like saying, you know, what are the actions they're taking? You know, talk is kind of cheap. So if you think it's a severe downturn that we're walking into, the smart thing in my mind to be would be sell everything, get into cash, get ready for the downside. If you don't think it's going to be that bad. You might you know, be able to justify hanging on. What are your thoughts about that? It kind of seems like you're not dumping everything. So maybe it won't be, you know, the end of the world type of scenario. What do you think? Well, you coming from a Wall Street background, you probably know this better than anybody. You, nobody can time the market. There's not a single investor in no matter equities or real estate that can appropriately time the market. So I think the idea of, of dumpster selling or rapid selling everything to try to time the market is a very poor strategy because, you know, how often have people tried to do that and have come out with a negative impact? So for us, again, keeping with the mindset of real estate is a long-term strategy, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get fearful or panicked right now because the market has contracted. Is operations tough? Absolutely. Are we feeling stress and pressure at our property levels? Absolutely. But it is our thesis that this will be short-lived and then we will start to see more positive trends reflecting coming out of this downturn in the probably next 12 to 18 months. And so am I willing to wait that out for the upside potential on the backside of that? Absolutely. Because I go into these deals with a five-year plan. We're going to write out the five-year plan. We've, we've accommodated or we've adjusted our underwriting and our assumptions to anticipate certain stress tests and certain variables that could impact our operations. And as long as we feel confident in that, we don't feel the pressure to have to exit. So I think that anybody that tries to time the market, you're, you're going to get it wrong. You may get it right here and there, but you're most often you're always going to get it wrong and you got to be invested in the long term. Okay. Okay. So let's dig into specifically underwriting. I'd like to talk about how you think about your underwriting during a downturn. For the listeners out there who don't know what the word underwriting is, it's basically just running the numbers. We don't need to even say these these fancy words. Underwriting, fancy word for running the numbers, looking at future cash flows and projecting future values on your property. So how do you think about it? Yeah, it's it's changed dramatically over the last, man, let's say six to eight months, right? You know, before before Fed the Feder excuse me, before the Fed began implementing their very aggressive monetary policy and rising interest rates, again, there was a very, very hefty level of competition in the marketplace. And what that did was force us to really be creative on how do we underwrite our deals. You know, we started to, in order to stay competitive, we, we started to really start pushing, not compromising, but pushing our assumptions on how we can create value. Right. And so what we saw then, again, you mentioned cheap money. You had very cheap debt at the time. The Fed rate was zero, near zero. So you can get fixed rate debt 3%, sub 3% prior to the interest rate environment. So when cap rates were sub 4%, you could still make sense of that because you had some positive leverage. And now we're in a completely different cycle. We're in a completely different environment where now you have negative leverage, meaning your interest rates are higher than your cap rates, right? You have, so you have a negative spread there. You don't have any positive yield going into the deal. You have, again, the rising interest rates, if you have a variable rate debt has put an extreme pressure on your, your bottom line, on your net cash flow, because 
Like I know across our portfolio and our variable rate debt, we've seen insurance premiums or interest payments go up two, three X in a matter of, you know, a couple of months. And now most of them we have rate caps on, but that's still, that's quite a bit of a hit to your bottom line. And you cannot generate enough revenue to cover that Delta in that short order. So when I think about underwriting now, I think now you always hear this term conservative. Now's the time to really be conservative in your underwriting and make sure that you're building in layers of protection to, to mitigate your downside risk. What does that mean? That means putting in stress tests against the interest rate exposure. Do you go fixed rate? Do you go rate, you know, variable rate with a rate cap, whatever, but really stress testing your deal at a higher interest rate than what you think you can execute at because debt right now is your biggest limiting variable in your underwriting. Leverage, you know, the days of getting 75% leverage have been long gone. I mean, right now, if you're going to go try to execute a deal, you'll be lucky if you can get 55, 60% leverage on an agency debt. Bridge lenders, they've completely backed away from the market. The few that are remaining, they're equally as strict on their leverage and their spreads are much higher. So your cost of debt is much, much higher. So you have to figure out that piece first. And because it is so prohibitive, it's eliminating most of the deals that are out there from being even close to being realistically executed on. But I think if you look at the trend, what we've seen, we saw going into July of last year, we saw record setting rent increases up through July, I think July was the peak, right? We were seeing double digit rent growth in markets that historically have been low single digit rent growth, record high absorption rates, record high occupancies. And now Jan we're recording this February 8th in 2023, all of those trends are now negatively trending, right? We're starting to see occupancies start trending back down to pre-pandemic levels at a national level and at the market level. You're starting to see rents softening from where they were relative to July. So you're and you're seeing absorption rates decline. Uh, I think Q Q4 last year posted, I think it was the third consecutive quarter of negative absorption across the country. And so that trend we're expecting to continue. So you have to really account for that in your assumptions and understand that things are charting to moderate back to their historical norms. And so this outsized rent growth and outsized occupancies and things like that, we're not going to be exhibiting those anymore. And maybe Maybe your market's different. Maybe you might you might not be as sensitive to that yet. It's coming, but you need to be factoring that into your underwriting. So you need to get conservative right now. And you need to understand too, as buyers, as active investors, we now have the leverage. Again, prior to prior to July, I would say of last year, all this it was still a seller's market. Sellers could dictate price, sellers could dictate their their demands, and and you really had no leverage as the borrower. Now you do. Now we're in the seat where we do have the leverage, and we do have the ability to use the headwinds that we're up against in our favor. So I think now's the time, again, to be ultra conservative and, and try to pick up some good real estate at a very attractive or very conservative basis that will put you in a well position coming out of this cycle. Wow. Okay, great. So you gave us a, a number of great examples there on the the topic of conservative underwriting. I heard actually very early on in my real estate investing career, a prominent real estate investor, a different one, say that everybody says they do conservative underwriting. It's up to any individual to prove that their underwriting is conservative. And for the listeners out there, just keep an eye out. You'll see everybody saying they underwrite conservatively. Yes. It's on them to demonstrate that they really do that. And I appreciate that you give us some specific examples. So now transitioning over to operating real estate during a downturn. We already say own some real estate. We see the downturn coming. How do you think about battening down the, the hatches, you know, either physically or financially 
on your properties for the the gathering storm. You know, that is maybe a little overly dramatic, but you know, things coming down the pipe, how do you think about them? Yeah. I mean, look, like I mentioned earlier, this is going to be the year of the operator. And again, to reemphasize this point, the market is no longer carrying multifamily operators. You know, we're not, you're not going to be realizing these outsized pieces in rent growth and, and occupancies, right? So, and then with your debt payments going up, if you're on a variable rate product, which by the way, in 2021, 22, 85% of the debt, the new acquisitions that were executed were executed on variable rate bridge debt, right? So there's a lot of exposure right now in the marketplace and there's a lot of operators and I've got, just to be transparent, we have a few deals ourselves that are exposed to that, that you have to be very conscientious of how to drive NOI to cover those rising costs of debt. And so what does that mean? Focusing on resident retention and customer service is absolutely crucial right now. We are in a customer service industry, but you got to understand that demand is being crushed, right? And residents are worried about how they're going to make their next rent payment. So they're going to go to the most feasible option that's conducive to their financial situation. So you have to make sure that you're taking care of your residents, keeping them in their, in their apartment home and focusing on retention right now is going to keep your costs down, especially when your turnover costs. So the cost to acquire a new lead and a new lease is going to be much higher versus renewing an existing tenant and keeping them in there for your property for another 12, 24 months. So focusing on retention for us is number one focus right now. Managing expenses is the next most important thing I think you can do. Cutting away any unnecessary expenditures that you can. And I know here in Texas, we have a lot of our uncontrolled costs that we, we have no influence over, taxes, insurance, which are being very prohibitive and adding to that stress on top of our cost of capital. Our insurance premiums are up 20 to 40% on renewals. And, you know, that's a very, very substantial increase at the property level. So what you have to do then is you have to mitigate expenses elsewhere. So like for us, for example, we've really did a fine, we've gone through all of our expense items line by line and looked at every single area that we can cut, trim the fat, so to speak, you know, our marketing budget, our payroll, our services, you know, what can we bring in-house and handle in-house without having to outsource or pay a third-party contractor to do so we can continue to drive down costs so that way we can preserve as much cash flow as we can. So I think, again, focusing on retention and mitigating your expenses, unnecessary expenditures, and operating as lean as you can is, is going to be critical going forward. So, Wow. Well, I appreciate all of, again, these specific examples and not speaking in, in generalities in actions that can be taken during these market downturns. Now, I, I never like painting so negative a picture, right, in general, because in any downside, there typically is an upside on the back end. We just have to make it to the other side to get to you know that upside and capitalize on the upside. So you've mentioned a few times your thoughts about how long this downturn might last. You know, we're all forecasting. We don't really, none of us really know the future, but I'd like to talk a little bit about upside that you think there is, you know, on the market side, on the back end. What do you think about how long it's going to last, things to look for to capitalize on that, everything along those lines? I actually think that we'll start to see some, I don't want to, recovery is not the right word. I definitely think you'll start seeing some relief probably coming into Q2 of this year. Right now, the biggest unknown is what rules are we playing by? 
And as investors, as real estate investors, the one thing that we love about real estate is it's very predictable, right? We know what rules to play by. Well, the Fed has completely disseminated or, or disintegrated all of the rules that we're historically played by. So, you know, I think that as soon as we know where Fed, the Fed is going to put a pause on interest rate hikes, that will allow the market to then adjust and kind of decompress and say, okay, we know where the ceiling's at. We know where the Fed is, go is going to maintain a steady position at. Now we can make those adjustments and start transacting again within those parameters. So I think you'll start seeing more banking institutions lending again. We're already seeing the agencies make accommodations because they want to meet their mandates this year. They have $150, $150 billion in loans that they have to, of capital, they have to execute on debt. So we're starting to see spreads kind of tighten a little bit and start to come down and we're starting to see accommodations. So I think you'll start seeing capital inflows coming back into Q2. And then there's a lot of investment capital sitting on the sideline. And this is what investors really need to be aware of is there is a ton, a ton of dry powder that is sitting on the sideline right now, waiting for the market to kind of decompress. And so my outlook is that over the next six months, it's going to be very painful. I think it's going to be very difficult to navigate the headwinds, but I do think if you can make it through and get through Q3 going into Q4 this year, we're going to start seeing capital flow back into the space. We're going to start seeing investment capital coming back in, and then you're going to start seeing demand driver, I mean, demand coming back in and fueling that. So I think coming out of this going into 2024, we're going to start seeing that level of competition coming back in the space and things will kind of start feeling more normal, I guess, so to speak. So. Great. All right. Well, glad to hear that there's, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Cody, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? This is probably going to catch most people off guard and surprising, but I spent almost $4,000 on a firm Tempur-Pedic mattress several years ago. <laughs> and I have not had a bad night's sleep since related to my mattress. So best investment I've ever made. <laughs> hey, there's more and more knowledge coming out every year around how sleep, how important sleep is to our performance. I am one to talk. I was up incredibly late last night working and, you know, running on a little sleep today. But, hey, you know, it's a, we're all a work in progress. Great example. Maybe I'll have to get myself one of those mattresses. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment I ever made was in a franchise licensure. I mentioned to you earlier that I was pursuing some non-real estate business ventures while pursuing real estate. And I signed a licensure agreement with a fitness franchise. 
to open three fitness units here in Texas. And to make a very long story short, three years into that endeavor, I did not open a single unit. I had a partnership that dissolved and I lost about $120,000, if I'm being conservative, about $120,000 in that. So that was the worst investment I've ever made. Ouch. Wow. That's a big loss to, <coughs> excuse me, recover from. Yeah. My wife, my favorite question. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Never be afraid to fail forward. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and don't be afraid to fail because every failure is a learning opportunity. As Rod Cleef loves to say it at seminars, and I've had a lot of seminars, as I'm sure most people have, but don't be afraid of failure. You got to put yourself out there. And if you want to grow, you're going to make mistakes, but that's how you learn. So take action and, you know, get uncomfortable. Awesome. Well, Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing all this knowledge and experience with us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, Taylor, if, if anybody's listening, if you want to get connected with me, go to any streaming site that this podcast is streaming on. Make sure to leave Taylor a five-star written review. And take a screenshot of that picture and text, text it to 832-743-1400. And I will personally reach out to you for a free coaching call. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate that so much. And to everybody out there, that's a, that's a pretty strong offer and doesn't cost you anything. Plus, it leaves us a rating and review. And I really appreciate that. Like I always tell you guys, that gives me a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you all in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye.